Let's start reading. <laughs> um, does someone want to read this source about uh, Leonardo da Vinci? Um, I promise it's relevant to discussion of Divrei Torah. I'll read it. Great. Okay. Of representing a man speaking to a multitude. When you wish to represent a man speaking to a number of people, consider the matter of which he has to treat and adapt his action to the subject. Thus, if he speaks persuasively, let his action be appropriate to it. If the matter in hand be to set forth an argument, let the speaker with the fingers of the right hand hold one finger of the left hand, having the two smaller ones closed, and his face alert and turn towards the people with mouth a little open to look as though he spoke. And if he is sitting, let him appear as though about to rise with his head forward. If you represent him standing, make him leaning slightly forward with body and head towards the people. These you must represent as silent and attentive, all looking at the orator's face with gestures of admiration, and make some old men in astonishment at the things they hear, with the corners of their mouths pulled down and drawn in, their cheeks full of furrows, and their eyebrows raised, and wrinkling the forehead where they meet. Again, some sitting with their fingers clasped, holding their weary knees. Again, some bent old men some bent old man with one knee crossed over the other in which let him hold his hand with his other elbow resting in it and the hand supporting his bearded chin. So if you ever want to paint a uh, or forge an old master's work, this is how to do it. This is like the rules for how to paint um, people, someone speaking to multiple seats. Does this match like your description of um Devar Torah looks like, what the scene looks like when someone gives it to our Torah. You mean here or in general? Either one. Um, I'd say like here, like specifically at Hillel, sometimes, you know, when people give Devar Torah, it tends to be more like, it's like really much kitschier than you would see elsewhere. So... It's not really, it's, sometimes I get the feeling that people are trying to just make it like a, like a routine, throw a lot of jokes in there. Um, but, you know, I've gone to other places where I have seen people, you know, give really intellectual talks um, during services, and to that I would relate this. I feel like this is how I would picture, like, a, like a preacher in a church or something like that. Like, or maybe one of these, like, uh, evangelical churches where, like, people are actually on the edge of their seats, like, trying to, like, listen and absorb every single word. What's the difference? Why do you think there's different, like, the style of, like, a Torah and a, like, a, what would you say, preach sermon? One thing I think is oh, I don't know. One thing I think is different that I think is an interesting dynamic here, and I didn't experience in places before, maybe because of um, the prayer space that I'd occupied before. Um, but like, um, especially on Shabbat morning, people are like catching up during um, the Torah Torah, and so it makes for an interesting like some people who like aren't looking at the speaker at all or aren't um, engaged with the speaker. So, the, so when a divorcee is normally given, it's not just that everyone there's rapt attention, but like there's some. Some people are listening. Some people are praying. Some people are standing. Some people are sitting. Okay. I think it's, it's more like a concert. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like there's there's some there's some like uh, entertainment going on in the front, like yeah, some yeah. people are. Some people care. Some people don't. Yeah, care. Some, some people, people drinks. Some people are talking. We're going in and out. I also kind of got the impression that this is more of like a a real like addressing the people kind of speech, whereas like I feel like a lot of the Dubai tour that go on here are like reading from a paper and like you're less engaged with the audience. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you got out of the paper. <laughs> I have three things that I want to say over, but can I say one of them right now? Sure. <laughs> I think you can write things out on a piece of paper and have a good thought about it. Really? Yeah, because of what he's saying here. Like, uh, Let me rephrase that. You have to write it out on a piece of paper. You can't read it from that. You cannot right. bring that piece of paper right. and read it from it. It's like one thing to write down bullet notes. Exactly but. because of what Da Vinci's saying over here. It's like the nature of a Devar Torah is not just to get across information. It's not a blog. Like, you're supposed to connect with the audience. You can't. If you and I are sitting here having a conversation, and I'm saying, like, hi, how are you? Like, you can't, like, you, you're not going to relate to me. Like, you have to draw their attention, and you know what I mean? Like, you just, you have to. You have to, like, uh, but, you know, and, 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 like, I think you just can't emote if you're, like, reading it word for word. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I think everyone has to struggle with that and figure out, like, a way to do that. Maybe you have an outline. Maybe you have a few things. Like, for sure, you can, you know, if you're reading... Uh, Paul if you're reading some source or something, you could definitely bring that up and read it, but... Um, but even when that happens, that's when my mind goes away. Like, yeah. I mean, there's so much when they open the homage to read the Masuk and yeah. end the thing. Because my mind is like, oh, this is important. They're going to explain what they want to say anyway <laughs> in like a few minutes. So. But I think this is like a... I think this is a great... This is a really interesting source just because of that dynamic he has between the speaker and the audience I think that sometimes is lacking. Like, thinking about like... Um, like, like other, I think, like little like tips I would say in that same vein are a lot of times people will recount things, like whether they're things in the Parsha or like have no, no new news to anybody. Like everybody knows what happens in the Parsha. You know what I mean? So like the first like minute or so of somebody's Devar Torah will be like, it's not only a waste of time, but everyone's tuned out by the time they get to what they want to say because you recapped something which was like, you and I wouldn't have a conversation like that. I wouldn't say like, you know, I was thinking about the Parsha today. And then I'm going to go into 60 seconds telling you, like, word for word, the Parsha, which you are, you, I would have lost you. Like, I would just tell you what I want to tell you. Like, you know, I had, like, a really interesting thought in the Parsha today. You know when, like, Jacob and Esau wrestle, and, like, I was thinking that I would just go right into it. Like, I wouldn't, right? And then you would be engaged. Like, I think that sometimes we think, and, like, it's our tour, sometimes that we have to, like, recount. And, and, and it's a tricky balance, because I know that we don't want to assume that everybody knows exactly what happened. But there has to, if you do feel you have to recount it, there has to be a way of recounting it, which yeah. is interesting, which is some, some shift or some way of engaging as opposed to just like, let me get through the first two minutes of what I have to say so that then I can say what's interesting kind of thing. You know what I, mean? I totally agree. And the second source, I think, um, brings together a lot of these ideas. Uh, you've probably seen this before. Undoubtedly, you've seen this before. But I, I like it most as like, the source um, to give a prototype of what a good Devar Torah looks like. Um, maybe it's also a source about like what the essence of Torah is. But um, so the story uh, in Shabbat, Amun Aleph, Amun Aleph. Once a non-Jew came before Shammai, he said to him, "Convert me on the condition that you teach me the entire Torah while I stand on one foot." Shammai kicked him out using the builder's tool on his hand. He came before Hillel, who converted him. Hillel said to him, "That which is hateful to you, do not do unto your neighbor. This is the entire Torah. The rest is commentary. Go and learn." So like you have there. Somebody who says, I want you to teach me something, but like I have this very limited uh, attention span, basically like the amount of time that I, I will stand on one foot, which is like more or less the amount of time people will pay attention to you if you're talking. Um, and 
you have Hillel like responding to the person who's in front of him. He's not saying like, okay, hold on, I'm gonna I'm gonna read you a prepared remark. Um, he says like, I, I understand my audience, and this is what I'm gonna give to this particular person because this is something you'll probably understand. And I think like most critically is the last part where he says, like, I recognize that I've given you a tiny thing, but you now have this incentive to learn something else. Um, because now that you've now that like there's a connection that's been drawn between Hillel and Shep, between Hillel and this person, um, there's now this kind of door into saying, well, here's all this other stuff that you could do too. Um, now that you have this, so I think like in trying to think about how to give a good bar Torah, um, this is like, a good model to to follow. Um, so maybe. There's like a million things, and there's like many different ways of giving to Bar Torah. But uh, maybe one good way to think about um, what makes for a good Bar Torah is just to ask you, what do you think makes a good Bar Torah? Just kind of like pawning off the question, but like, what in your opinion is, is um, essential for a good Bar Torah, or is helpful in making a good Bar Torah? I would say two things. I think uh, a strong lead is really critical if you get people attentive from the get-go, then you're in a much better position going forward. And then from there on, like, structure. Like, I think the, the people that you see hold an audience are the ones that clearly say, okay, here's what I'm going to do, and then very clearly go through, a, like, a framework, or, like, first, second, third, or in the following three ways I'm going to prove to you that X, Y, and Z happened. One, one like, caveat to that, though, is on people's introductory structure is so complicated like when they say, like, I'm going to take two seconds from here, look at a textual difference, come to a greater insight, <laughs> use that greater insight to look at another parsha, take that parsha, and analyze something we learned last week, and then connect it all to the holiday, and to Pesach, and to my bris milah. Wait, let's just take that for a second. Besides the complicated factor, what's wrong with that? Nobody cares. Nobody cares. There's no hook. Right. Like, like, Eitan's like opening is more than just, like, a, like, a, like a throwaway, like... It has to be, like, compelling, you know what I mean? Like, if you hook them in the first 30 seconds with whatever it is, whether it's a question, whether it's more intellectual, whether it's more emotional, like, but that hook has to, like, be something I'm so burning now to, like, hear something about that you can hold my attention for five minutes, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and that is not, right? Besides the fact that it's, like, overly complicated, it's like, I never, like, that just question doesn't burn me that there's, like, two things over here and one thing over there and six things over there, and, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's... And there's this long tradition in Judaism of having, you know, oral Torah, Torah Shabbat Peh. And the Torah Torah is Torah Shabbat Peh, if there ever is some. Um, it's, it needs to be differentiated from written Torah in the same way that um, when you write for radio, for example, you have to learn different rules for when you write essays. Um, like, if you think about, like, what it means to write for NPR or something. So a listener can't just go back and say, what did, what did you say? Like, you use the pronoun he. Um, who is he again? Um, you have to be writing in ways that are very clear for an audience, which can only go in one direction. And the thing that um, um, when you construct radio, um, people are told over and over again is you have to construct a story. Like it can't just be like you're going back like three points here and six points there. Like it has to be like this one trajectory that you can follow like from the beginning, like with the hook, like going all the way through. So like as simple as possible. Um, you, you know, use as few pronouns as possible, use relatively, like, simple sentence construction if you are writing it. Um, if you, like, have a confidence not to write it, then great. Um, but just remembering that, um, that the rules for um, 
or rhetoric, like oral rhetoric, are different from, from writing. Um, maybe, uh, well, okay, other, other thoughts about what makes for a good rhetoric? Wait, can we pick up on oh, yeah. top, say a couple more comments on you? Yes, yeah. I thought your, your things were interesting. Because I was thinking about this in lieu of your first source here. So in what ways is a Dvar Torah um, like a conversation that you would have with somebody? Like in what ways is that a helpful model and in what ways is it not a helpful model? Because obviously giving a talk, giving a sermon, preaching is different than having a conversation. Right? So, so we started off sort of saying because of this Da Vinci that you're like actually engaging someone, there is some element of the conversational in there that you have to engage in your audience, um, but in what ways is it not? So I think that like both of the things that you addressed were ways in which it's not like a conversation. I would probably not engage with a conversation like with a hook. You know what I mean? Like I may have a question or whatever, but I wouldn't be overly concerned that it would like be so engaging or riveting that it would hook your attention for five minutes kind of thing. You know what I mean? But I think also the second thing that you said also is a, is a difference between um, a conversational structure and a divertory structure. Meaning that if I, if I had something I wanted to say to you, like, uh, like a kiddish, and like, I had this idea in the Parsha, I probably wouldn't start with a hook. I would just tell you what my idea was. I may tell you there was some question that was bothering you, but more likely I would just tell you what the idea was. And the other is I wouldn't necessarily have built an entire structure of how to incorporate all and weave in the interesting points or the proofs or like the outline structured kind of like a thing. I think in that sense it's much, it's different. You know, it's, a, it's sort of like a very interesting combination of like, that con that conversational like engagement that like Da Vinci's talking about, and then where you're bringing in these items, which are you have to keep that conversational quality while at the same time you're doing something which is in a sense not right, which is that's a, like a different way of engaging people than just a conversational style would be. I, th I think like one of those things you were saying uh, like, uh, hit on that. I think one other thing that also hits on that distinction that <clears throat> maybe Da Vinci gets into a little bit by the way he depicts the speaker um, is the verbal cues. Like one thing that I find often very distracting when people get up to speak is that they're moving all over the place or their hands are in a million places and it's very hard to focus and pay attention to somebody <coughs> like that. But there's a very clearly defined way in which the speaker here is depicted and represented with very clear cut and sort of, um, I don't know what the right word is, but very clear cut sort of movements and motions that he's supposed to follow. And I don't think you'd have that in a normal conversation. That wouldn't be something that you'd pay attention to. Like, right. if somebody is twirling their hair in a normal conversation, it doesn't bother you in the same way. So some of this can be learned. Like, some of this, um, you know, you can learn how to, um, you know, use the hand gestures. I know, like, when I read this part about, like, the fingers, like, right. I was like, how does this? <laughs> um, but... I think a good substitute for learning all of this is to mean what you say, in that if you actually believe the Torah that you're giving, if it means something to you, you're more likely to deliver it in a way that is engaging for the audience. I think like also physically, you know, um, the way your body posture will suggest that you're really into it. Um, and that's also, I think, uh, something which um, should make you want to deliver Torah, which is simpler in that, I, th I think a lot of the time, like, successful delivery Torah center around just, like, one good point that you feel, something that, like, you actually feel. Um, and many times, even Torah, which, like, where, like, the insight is maybe, like, a little weak, um, if the audience senses that the person really, really feels what they are saying, in a way, like, it does not always matter whether the point is, is not well made, whether it's not like a brilliant insight. Um, because you're trying to make this connection with your audience, and you know that means 
people want to know who you are, and you need to be speaking, you know, towards what you think the audience cares about. Um, so sincerity is, I think, like people know when like, the, the toy you're giving is not sincere. Um, so that's interesting because you're balancing two things there, of like your own like passion or emotions of sincerity with the audience also. Mm -hmm. Like I may feel really passionate about like some chat minutia and some Gemara that I was learning late one night, but <laughs> the show on Friday night may not be the appropriate place. Or I may be, you know, you have to know like. Uh, who you're talking to, but I, but I mean, I'm not saying that to like intellectually or content-wise tone it down, but rather just to you know, I, this, I think that's like yeah. fairly like obvious. But, uh, I was thinking one other thing we were just saying. Oh, do people have thoughts? Like, does this bother people? Like, or try, or like find it difficult? Like, how do you find the hook? Is that something that people struggle with, or no? Does that come naturally? Like, I think it might be helpful. Like, let, like, what hooks have people used? Like, what's a good hook? And, like, where do you find, like, like tachlis, like, are people looking for that kind of, I don't know, are people looking for that kind of information? Like, what, how do you develop a good hook? Like, how do you develop a good, like, thing? I don't know if people, if that's something that... Yeah. Dan had a really good hook for his Torah tour. He gave, when he came back from abroad, he, like, started telling a story about... Um, about the uh, about these, the other students, yeah, the students who came in when he was cooking. And they offered you soup. They offered yeah, you the soup was, that you could eat. Yeah. So I was telling the story. He ended up talking about a lot of different things, but um, like I still remember that. Like kosher, it was like a story about kosher originally, right? Yeah. And like just like they were like, oh, like people's thoughts about Jews when he was abroad. Um, and then he ended also with the same story, and it was. It was like really, it ended up like a humorous point, and it was like a very good rap. So the hook was good. It had a little humor in it, but it was an interesting story. But it also story. highlighted some thing that was like difficult or ridiculous <clears throat> or humorous or like attention. Yeah. Yeah. The and point was about like you know like Judaism time. abroad versus Judaism here, and starting with a story that related to that. Right. So, and what I liked about Dan's Devar Torah was that it came full circle. Like in the beginning, he told the story. And, but he didn't really finish the story. He kind of went off track a little bit. And then at the end, everything like came together, which was really nice. It's not like, I'm going to tell a funny story, and then we're going to just forget about the story and then move on to something else. Because then, cause then like, like what you were saying, then you just like, oh, well, you lost me because you just switched topics. Right. But it was like nice flow to that. Just a quick word. I don't know how you feel about this, but I always heard this like, always start off with a joke. Like, I don't know, I'm just not that good at the joke thing. Like, I just think it has to be, like, genuine who you are, you know what I mean? Like, some people can start off with a joke. Like, Abraham Yale can start off with a joke, and it's almost always a winner. I mean, it's just, like, it's very engaging, like, at least for me. Like, I like his jokes, I think he's good. Like, but but, but it's, it's definitely his style. Like, that's, like, he clearly, like, gets nachas out of, like, developing these things, thinking about them, he's good at it. Like, for me, like, it would just never go, you know what I mean? But I, so I think there's, like, no one rule like that, like, you know, if you have, like, if you're, like, a good storyteller, a good joke teller, great, but if not, it doesn't, like, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't want people, like, I think that's a little bit misleading, that, like, you have to open with a joke, because I think more often than not, then people get up with a joke, it's like, Kyle saying, like, then it's a little bit, like, flat, like, oh, like, the joke had nothing to do with anything, or it's not that funny, or yeah. you just feel like you had to force a joke in, kind of thing. I wish I could be a stand-up comedian for a living, yeah. but I can't. So I try to start with jokes. I don't. I don't know that I think about hooks. Um, I, I don't know if like, I ever sit down and think like, what would be a good hook for this. Um, what I do do, and maybe this, what might work differently for you, is I think um, 
like once I have the core idea is, so what's the core point? What do I need to introduce to lead up to that? So like, is there a problem that I need to present and that this, this point is a solution to that problem? Is there a good story maybe that I can uh, use to kind of illustrate the problem beforehand? Um, and to think, and like, I, you know, often I do this in my head, um, you know, as, you know, before I get up to give a Dwarah Torah, is thinking about, like, what are those units, kind of those blocks? And this is actually, like, you know, um, the um, classic style for, like, how to do rhetoric is, like, to think about the different parts of your speech as being, like, these different items, these different objects, and to think about, like, walking into your house and, like, seeing the different items in your speech, like, uh, um, you know, in different rooms of your house. So thinking about those different items, but then, and they think this is the harder, this is the harder part, and this is like certainly the part that I do last when I'm preparing, is to think about what takes me from block one to block two. Um, so I have a story, I know the point I want it to illustrate. If I spend a paragraph trying to illustrate that um, transition, then I'll lose people. So trying to find like that one sentence, or that one half sentence that takes me from point A to point B to say like, so, you know, I, you know, there's a story about the soup and whatever, and I think this is a perfect illustration of something which we find in this week's Parsha, and then talk about that. Um, or, you know, um, and this has made me wonder, broad philosophical question, um, and then some thinking about that. Um, but to try to make those points as, as cleanly as possible. And I think if you have that in, stuck in your head, uh, certainly, if, if, you're, if you're a visual thinker, like, you know, block one, transition, block two, transition, um, that helps uh, you prepare it, especially if you can't write things down. Um, other other thoughts about, like, you know, what makes for a good directora? Can I just say a word about that? Yeah, yeah. This is so interesting, because I think we, like, we, I, there's no one answer, but I think this is, this is um, interesting just to highlight, because I think we build the, the you, have the, you have the core message of what you want to say, and you build almost backwards to the hook. So, like, I do the opposite. So, like, if I know I have to speak, let's say, on a given Shabbat, I'll look at the Parsha and I'll see, like, what bothers me in the Parsha. Like, for me, it always starts there. Like, what bothers me in the Parsha? What thing is like... Or it may not even be something in the Parsha. It just may be something that, like, was killing me and it happens to relate somehow to the Parsha. But it always, for me, it starts with a hook. So, for me, usually the hook is, like, some question that was burning me in the Parsha. Like, an example, like, when I was in Jerusalem over spring break, like, I spoke in this show... And I was talking about this um, statement in the Talmud that says that like, um, the Kohanim, it comes up a few times, says the Kohanim are different because the Kohanim have more mitzvahs. And in another place in the Talmud it says the Kohanim are different because the Kohanim have more Kedusha. And I was like tripping out on that. Like what does that mean for one group in Kali's world to have more Kedusha than another? And what does that have to do with like Leviticus? We were like starting Leviticus because it's called Torah's God. So that was like, for me that's where it started. And I was like, okay, so that's what I'll speak about because that's what's interesting to me right now. So like it started almost like with the hook and then it like, whatever answer I develop, develops. Like, at some point, yeah, I have to make some message which is somewhat relatable. Like, if not, so then I won't present it. But, like, but it's interesting that it goes, like, um, and then, like you said, it's interesting. So, like, the way that it'll happen for me is I'll have the hook, I'll have the question, and I'll develop, like, the sort of answer that I want to give. And then as I'm thinking about it, it usually takes me, like, several days, if not, like, several weeks to, like, think it through. Because all of a sudden, all these different pieces of information will start to, like, fit, or statements or different things will start to fit in to that idea. So then the goal, then the process is like, how do I take all those pieces of information which I think are interesting and add elements or twists to the theme and develop it into a story? Because 
Devartor has to be a story. It, ha it has to have tension in it. It's theater. I think that's the, the main difference between that and just talking. Like, if we're sitting here talking, like, it was always bugging me, like, this whole thing the Gemara says, that Rabbi Lehem Kedushi Yisera, like, what is that? Why are Kohanim different? Like, and I might just tell you my answer. But you can't just do that in a Devar Torah. Like, it has to be that there's tension and theater involved also. So that, for me, a lot of times comes with, I'll rearrange those pieces of information in ways which build. Whereas I wouldn't do that necessarily in conversation, and I wouldn't necessarily do that in a shir. Because one of the things that the questions I think we have to ask is, what's the difference, we talking about what's the difference between a Devar Torah and a conversation, what's the difference between a Devar Torah and a shir? In a shir, I wouldn't necessarily do that. In a shir, I just might say, like, even though a shir needs a certain amount of theater, but I might just say, like, here's a question, here's an answer, and here's all these other things that somehow fit in with interesting twists or whatever, but I wouldn't necessarily be as interested in keeping people's attention quite the same way with the story and the theater. You know what I mean? I think actually, like the way we're, um, although like I think the way we um, in practice put these things together is different. I think like there's something shared in that, which is that um, when you're thinking about what do I want to write about, and I think like that's the hardest part. It's just just to think like, well, where do I start? Um, is it shouldn't be so difficult. Like you shouldn't, you know, think like it, it's not like putting together a research paper where you think, okay, like what's been talked about, what hasn't been talked about. Like let me find something which is new, which I can make an original point. Um, you think like, what? Like, how am I feeling today? Like, um, am I having a good day? Like, what? Like, what's on my mind these days? And I find like the things that you like naturally gravitate towards, like the like the Torah questions, like which, like as you say, like are bugging you, are the ones that are often the best to write about because like you can think like, well, well, what is it that's bugging me? Like, why do I care about that? Like, there, you know, there's already some indication that like there's something in that that you find meaningful which means that it's likely that there'll be something which you can, you know, you have some kind of passion about. Um, so it's often a good place to start. So um, I have, like, a list of four questions which you can ask yourself, different four questions, about, um, how, like, a ways of kind of jogging your memory. Question number one. Off the top of my head, what is the most interesting piece of Torah I have heard recently? Don't try to, like, put a lot of thought into it, just, like, whatever it is. Um... Because it's likely the thing that's stuck in your head stuck there for a reason. Um, second question. And I think like this is kind of an order of like how you should do this. What is the most interesting reflection I've had recently? Torah-related or not? Because frequently, even if it's not related to Torah, there's some way of relating it to Torah. Maybe like you can figure that out yourself. Maybe you can talk to somebody and figure that out. Um, three. What do I feel is most important to share right now? Like if there's something like what you think you figured out and you want to tell people... Um, what is that thing? Um, and then I think the fourth question is, what does it say in the parsha? Like, if you really like, you're stuck, like you know, you're feeling like totally numb and like have nothing, nothing has happened to you of significance in the past week or month, then uh, then look to the parsha. Um, but I haven't find like it's it's um, it's the things that are on your head already or in your head already are the things that are. Are, are good to run with and the things that you're going to be able to write about uh, with most ease because it shouldn't like it shouldn't be a painful exercise like it should be something which is um, which is fun for you to do and which is like relatively easy to do although I will add like uh, for me a lot of times it is a painful exercise because the pressure of knowing that you have to speak sometimes and like and for me it really does like it takes several days to like if I do have a good question like that in itself anyway it's sort of a painful exercise like, sorting through like well what is the answer like what like you know what I mean like it's not a bad pain. Like I don't, I don't think all pain is bad, but like it is sort of like a, sometimes a painful process. 
Um, so, but I don't know if that necessarily is counter to what you're saying. But it's, uh, but yeah, like, definitely finding that hook shouldn't be like. There's so many things that we're all bothered by all the time. Like, it's just not like you don't have to look in like far and wide to find like something that's like. The biggest struggle that I have with Libertara is finding the balance in the questions I find interesting between finding the answers other people have given for them and sharing my answer or insight. And I think my biggest frustration with Libertara um, are ones that completely just tell you what somebody else thinks about it or what different scholars think about it or ones that completely just talk about how they feel and don't bring in so much scholars or so much text. Um, I also find bringing in text particularly stressful because I feel like I have um, a less wide range of sources to draw from um, and I get like really overwhelmed in looking for sources and so I've found that my Divertora either really lack sources or overload on sources or something in a way that's like just not very natural and I feel like I've written different kinds of ones but they're always like extreme. <laughs> I think that sounds very difficult. I find it's helpful to look at sources um, but my personal style is to use, to quote as few sources as possible because I think like it is distracting. Um, I think it's hard for people to just listen to quotes um, and to stick to Torah and Talmud as much as possible and not to quote, you know, Rashi or Ramban, um, even if I'm using them. I mean, if, I, if I'm using them in the research, then, like, I might mention that, but um, but to kind of, like, stay focused on, like, one, one passage. Um, I find that's the... Because I, I think I have a similar issue... Um, in that it's easy to overload on sources. And I think also in research it's easy to kind of like have the research, like, and to kind of have like a process of our tour where it's like, well, like first I looked at this source, and then I looked at this source, and here's all the sources that I found. Um, and not actually find it, and not actually have a conclusion. So I think um, kind of, you don't need to quote as so many sources. Like you just need to talk and like say what you, what you like try to give the interpretation that you're giving. Sometimes it's a good straw man, though, when you're creating drama. So you say, like, <coughs> there's a question in the Parsha, and you say, like, and Rashi gives this answer, but it's just, but it can't be. Like, you know, the, you, know what, you know what I'm saying? Like, you can build the drama of, like, for thousands of years, people haven't been able to properly answer this question because, like, these things don't quite work. And then you can go on to, like, weave your own answer kind of thing. Like, sometimes that's helpful. It builds the drama, do you know what I mean? Like, right, the, right. Like, or, you know, and Rashi says this, and like, but what does it mean? And that'll build, and you'll be explaining Rashi on top of your quote, like it can build the drama. Um, I agree, don't quote sources. I like try to stay away from that, like, meaning just summarize. Unless sometimes you'll need it, because you're building on one particular word or one particular phrase, so then maybe you'll want it. But as a general rule, like, there's no need to, like, read, like, like you said, like, people lose you right away when they do that. As soon as they open the Chumash and they're reading, like, they're like, you'll, like, you'll lose people, like, it, it lacks, it lacks drama, unless there's, like, again, like, just a few words or whatever that you need to, like... That in my mind, by the way, that in my mind is the difference between the, the Torah and the Sefer HaKanechshir. The Sefer HaKanechshir, I think, like, to longer format, there's an expectation that you'll be quoting sources, like, you provide some kind of scholarship, you explain pe to people something which, like, they probably didn't know before, um, using, like, using, um, using sources, maybe quoting a little bit. Uh, I don't think you have that expectation for Torah. And I think... And, uh, which goes along with quoting a lot of sources is if 
you keep quoting others, the audience doesn't really get to understand what you're getting out of it. Because, like, if Tamar is giving a Devar and she's mentioning what Rashi thinks about the Parsha, what the Rambam thinks, we never get to know what Tamar thinks. Because anyone can open up a Rashi or a Rambam or any type of commentary and read for themselves, but unless the speaker themselves is providing their own insight, it's really not worth listening to, to be completely honest. To me, the best use of sources is either you've connected a source that seems completely unrelated, and not necessarily a, a rabbinic source, like a source, like something that happened to you, or something that you've seen, or in literature, that's like a phenomenal use of sources where it doesn't seem connected, but um, after what you've built, it just it makes total sense how it fits into um, Yudavar Torah, or if you take a source that just like seems like it says something, and you just show how genius it is and how it elucidates everything. Just if we, like by properly, but I guess that's just also like one level removed from just understanding the Parsha, but you're just taking that source and then through that you're revealing how amazing what that, what that thing actually says is. Like, so easy to miss, but look how much it's just jam-packed into that. Like, I don't know, I feel like there's some easy ones like Rashi about like, why was the first Vince come about this? And like, but I think those are the, like when people do that, that's when I'm really like chatting with them. How do you like get those Vartoras where there's just that like huge insight? Because like sometimes like there are those Vartoras and you're like, oh my god, my mind was just blown. And then sometimes <laughs> you're like, eh, like how do you get to that point? Yeah, I just don't feel like I have that much like personal experience. I don't feel like I ever like read Parsha and I'm like, I have just made a new discovery that nobody has ever <laughs> thought of before no that I'm going to share with this room of people when someone asked me to give this to our three days ago. So you're asking yeah, how you come up with brilliant original ideas? <laughs> <laughs> how you navigate a speech and you don't have one. Wait, I, too much pressure. Like, it's yeah. too, way too much pressure. Because like, even the ideas that you hear that are like brilliant are not necessarily like brilliant new ideas. But like you, but you have to have, I think, a few places that you go that you find inspiring. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I'd like just to give you a few for me. Like, I think like Nachum um, Leibowitz, amazing. Like, if you want to like start to think about Devar Torah, like she always has a hook. Every like read her pieces, read almost like Devar Torah. They wouldn't be great Devar Torah because they're more sheer like in the sense that they go on to give you a whole bunch of different opinions. Um, but always has a good hook. There's always some classic, great question. There's nothing wrong with standing up there and asking some of those questions. And it's always, like, a good place to at least start. You know what I mean? Um, and again, like, her style, like, you're just going to give over her material or her piece, like, it's probably not going to go very well. Sheer, yeah, but it's not going to go so well in the Devar Torah because of, like, all the things we mentioned. But good inspiration. You know, good classic questions and, like, a lot of depth, and she has excellent other questions to think about. Like, it's, I, I find them very inspiring on the question. Um, and it's in English, so that one's easy. Just to throw out, like, a few that, like, for me, get my mind going. Like, um, if it's something around the Chagim, Rav Hutner. Rav Hutner and his Pachad Yitzchak, like, just unbelievable stuff. Like, and it just gets your mind going, and he always asks interesting questions and raises interesting points. And the other one for me um, is, um, so I like looking at Hasidus and the Parsha. Because I think a lot of times if you're going to try to give something which is like Hasidism of the Parsha, it's going to fall a little bit flat. 
because we're not Hasidim and sometimes like the we don't really get a lot of times like the depth of what's going on there but the issues that are raised and sometimes the emotions that like bubble up from like reading it for me like do something for me and I don't necessarily like take it and give it over verbatim but it just starts something to start like flowing a little bit bring a midrash she'll bring a rashi like because you don't want to have to sift through the entire parsha to find that one or two rashis that are like just really like interesting or elucidating on something or complex and like but if you look through sometimes these kind of things so they'll bring those up and then you'll have your sort of like at least like a starting point I don't know if you have certain sources that you like um I like Midrash a lot um Hasidus also I'm uh, an expert in Hasidus so like it's harder for me to enter into it but I like Midrash I like Sefer HaAgadah which is available both in Hebrew and in English um is wonderful just to flip through um, there's lots of stuff in there which people have not heard. Um, there's lots of stuff which people have heard. So like, it's it's good to use, and there's like you can spin it in any way, different way. So it's very very helpful there. Um, I, I agree. Like giving yourself the burden of like I have to come up with something which like no one else has ever said before is <laughs> unbearably high. That's why I think the way to start is to say what do what have I found interesting and why have I found it interesting because. You know, we're not so different. Like, it, it's there's a good likelihood that if you found something interesting, other people will find it interesting too. Um, and I think if you can explain that, then that is just as good. Um, sometimes, like, you do have like an original insight, and that's a bonus. But don't. I think it's very hard to like go searching for like to go searching for an insight. Like, start with the insight, whatever it may lie in your life, and and try to find a way to tie that into into Torah and to what you understand. Um, from the Parsha, from different sources, um, I think is like a, a much less pressure way to do it. And the advantage is also is that I don't think people walk away from every door. I don't think people just have the comments after a door tour saying like, oh, you know, I've heard all that before, so uh, whatever. I think sometimes there can be a door tour where there's really like no new content, but it's still incredibly powerful just because of the person who's saying it or the way it's being said. Um, and actually, I have... I think ultimately there's three ways you can think about what a Dvar Torah is um, and like what a Dvar Torah is for. One is a Dvar Torah is a persuasive tool. Dvar Torah is to say, um, I want to convince you of something, convince you of the correctness of a cert, uh, perhaps a certain way of reading the Torah or um, some, some part of reality or something about like relationship with God or mitzvot or like convince you of something or maybe like something about politics or... Um, social justice, um, that's great if you can do it, if you have something that you want to say. Another one is, and I think this is the one that I find myself using most often, is just a devoir is showing something beautiful, just something beautiful. Um, because beauty is shared, beauty is something that people can relate to from all different, um, in all different ways. Um, and I think that if you set yourself the goal of just like creating or showing beauty, then it's harder to go wrong. And it's also harder for people to say, like, well, you know, that doesn't quite line up. Like, you know, I don't know if that person used the sources in exactly the right way doesn't really mean that. Um, just show something beautiful. And it can be one thing. Um, and the third is, um, and I think this is especially important in places like Penn, is a Dvar Torah is a way of bringing communities together. In kind of like, in the Dvar Torah, kind of reflecting on um, either something that is happening in your community at the moment, um, or something that, you know, you know, an experience you've had, so like in a lot of senior Devar Torahs, I think like that's an important part of it, is to talk about like 
and to kind of reflect on where one stands in relation to one's community. Um, I think there, um, you can have zero, zero new content, and it can still be amazing. Because you can just say, like, this thing that, that happens in the Parsha, like, that's how I feel. Like, that's my, that's how I feel about this community. Um, it brings Torah alive in a way that doesn't really require any kind of, like, incredible innovation. Just be there. Um, so I don't know if you, you need to, like, set out thinking, like, okay, like, am I writing for my Torah A, B, or C? Like, you can have this in the back of your head just as, like, there's different ways of writing into our Torah, but I think, like, those are broadly the categories that good different Torah fall into. Can I, just a couple of things that I, were in my head, like, the last few days that I just didn't want to forget to say. Um, so, um, I should have written them down. Um, one of the things that we're hitting on here, with that we started off, we were talking about not writing things down, and David Tzvi's talking about the whole idea of like processing things through your own like through your own lens, through your own. Um, that process is really important, and it's what changes a Devar Torah from a book report to a Devar Torah. And that, it's also what takes time. So anytime anybody says, "I wrote my Devar Torah last night," like chances are they didn't go through that process. So like you could take anybody's Devar Torah, but if they let it sit in themselves for a while. It's going to change because the tenor, again, it's theater. So the way in which that, peer, that person feels about it changes, so the presentation changes, even if the actual words don't necessarily change. And it's one of the problems with reading. It's like we're not feeling it. We're not, it's not, it has to go through you as a filter. So, like, let's say you pick up Nechama Leibowitz and you read something, you could give that over reading it from the sheet and it wouldn't touch anybody. But you could give that over after it sat with you a few days and you thought about that, like, oh, yeah, like, that's one of the reasons for Kashrut. Like, I really connect with that or something. Like, you could give it over and have it totally... Or, like, one of the things I think about this with, like, with, with um, Khan and like him is, like, uh, Rosh Mulevitz's Sikhot Muster. So, like, also, sometimes it's, like, a nice, like, inspiring place to find. He has some good questions, and then it goes by the Parsha, and it's, like, it's very good. But it, if you were to just read one and then give it over, it would be flat. But if you read it and you sit with it for a few days, then almost always something else from your own experience, something else is going to bubble up, some connections are going to be made, and then the whole sharing of it's going to, like, have, like, a different time. One thing that I wanted to say, which is crucial, which I resisted for a very long time doing, Jenny told me to do this because it was something that she did in a graduate class at Harvard. Was, this was about teaching, not like Divrei Torah, and they videoed themselves. But if you want to be good at giving Divrei Torah, you have to give your Divar Torah to yourself in a mirror. And it's insanely awkward, and you're not going to want to do it. But if you can't listen to yourself in a mirror, like nobody else, and you'll see everything. You'll see how you stand. You'll see if you're engaging or if you're not engaging. And you'll know how much time it actually takes you to go through the thing, which is huge. And you will... The, the way that I avoid writing it down or reading it from being written down is I'll write an outline or I'll write it out. But then when I'm going at it in front of the mirror, so then I have to have that in my head. And if I go through it in front of the mirror two or three times, then the structure of the Devar Torah, as well as certain key phrases or language, are there. So I, I'm not worried about that. That's there. It's already in there. Not that everything's memorized, but those key, like you were talking about, the key connecting pieces, that, that like 10 seconds, sometimes you're looking for, you're crafting words. Your tools are words. So you're looking for that specific word, and you'll notice that the first couple times you go through, you what's that exact word I want? And it'll like break you right in the middle. Right? And then you'll figure that word out. And then you'll do it again in front of the mirror, and it'll become smoother, and it'll become a little bit better. And then once those things are in place, you'll be able to feel that you can like, say it a little bit more naturally, a little bit more smoothly. You're not nervous because you're not 
well, I don't know that what word I wanted this way. Huge amount of work. It's definitely a lot more work than I think most people want to put into a Devar Torah because most people will write it out a few. A night before, it's easier to write it out, and then you read it, and you're done kind of thing. Like, but so sitting with it, internalizing it, putting through the filter of yourself, and then actually practicing and writing it out or outlining it, and then practicing it in front of a mirror is like can be painful, but it's like it'll make your product like uh, so much better and so much more engaging. You know, really. I don't use the mirror, but I definitely like um, if I'm giving the right Torah on Shabbat morning, then like from when I get up, I'm like or that like that's the point where like I'm thinking about the different blocks, and uh, part of that is like saying over like bits of it in my head, thinking like how does it sound. Um, so that by the time I actually get to speak, um, like, you know, I, I, I've said it over, or parts of it over to myself already. Um, sometimes, just in terms of, like, the amount of time it takes, sometimes I find, like, giving myself too much time is not a good idea um, because I really believe in, like, just using, like, what's on the top of your head. Um, and I find, like, if you, like, give, your well, give yourself a week to think about, like, what's on the top of your head, like, you know, I know, like, what's on the top of my head on <laughs> Sunday and on Friday is very different. Um, so, I usually give myself, like, 24 hours or less, sometimes, like, a few hours to prepare to our Torah, um, but, like, that's just my style. Some people, like, are more comfortable, um, having more time. Um, another thing, just, like, about public speaking in general is that, um, it's important to realize that when you're getting up in front of an audience to speak, like, nobody cares. Like, no one cares as much as you do what you're going to say, and you might get them interested in what you're saying, but um, it's important to like appreciate like how much antipathy there is in a room when you're speaking. Like people are not always so interested at the beginning, and that is good because like means they're not actually scrutinizing you. Like they're waiting for you to like show them something. Um, part of what that means is that if you want to pause for a second, like if you want to like speak slowly, whatever you want to do, like people will roll with it, like, there people aren't, because, like, only you have that, like, sense in your head of what your Dvaratora should sound like, and, like, how well you are doing in relation to that, like, platonic image of your ideal Dvaratora. Um, you know, you, you can use whatever, whatever time, whatever um, techniques you want, um, but that, I find, is helpful for me. or other thoughts about this that could do a Torah. Um, one thing you might want to do if you have, shameless plug, if you have thoughts about, um, if you want to get inspiration for different ways of giving Divri Torah, um, check out the Sermon Slam videos. Um, there's like 60 of them online right now. And some of them like are classic Divri Torah and they're good ones. Some of them are not. Some of them are, like, short stories. So, like, those won't be also helpful for you. But some of them are just, like, good, solid, like, five-minute Divar Torah. Um, and, like, one of the... I think one of the things that, like, makes a Divar Torah hard is that it seems easy. Like, everyone knows that, like, leaning is a skill. Everyone knows that, like, being a Balkar is a skill. Uh, that, like, uh, being a Chazan is a skill. Um, but the Divar Torah seems like, oh, like, this person... Like, I want them to be involved, but, like, I don't know how. I'm going to give them, like, the Dvar Torah to do. Um, and it really is a skill as well, and it should be treated as such. Um, and if you, um, like, are the person who's involved in, um, in a minyan, like, we were assigning Dvar Torah, like, something that 
um, I find helpful is if a person's like kind of unsure of themselves, like to go over with them, like you know, talk with them about like how are you feeling about this, um, because very often like people don't talk, you know, don't like mention it to themselves in the mirror like there's our Torah. So talking to it with someone else is helpful um, if you feel it's if you feel it's necessary, and that's your, you know, you're in that position. Oh, there's one other thing that I, um, this is just the one other thing that I was kind of related to something that you said earlier. Um, just say it. I can't tell you how many times in Debray Torah people beat around the bush forever. Like, just have confidence in, like, what you're saying and just say it. And, like, that'll come out also if you practice in front of the mirror. Like, I think one, and this was the, this has been the hardest thing. This is the thing I struggle with most in Debray Torah. Just say it and be done. That's it. Sit down. Like, it's not... There's no extra points the longer you stand up there and the more, like, circuitous you get. And yet, we all do it. And we all do it out of, like, a certain, like, nervousness or, like, a not clear vision of, like, where we're going in the Dvar Torah. And, like, you know, you know what I mean? So, like, a lot of times people will start off and they'll meander for the first couple of minutes. You know? We're in this Parsha and this Parsha says this. and this parsha. We don't want to hear that. Just get to the chase of why you're up there and what you want to say. You know what I mean? Like, uh... I don't know exactly what the like analogy is, and maybe basketball. Like, don't, don't you get the ball and then you're just dribbling around? And you just go to the hoop, just score. Like, the point is to score and like sit down. You know what I mean? When you're finishing, like, don't circle for landing. Don't be like, yeah. yeah like, yeah. if you have like a bracha to say, like, my bracha to you is like sometimes that's good, but sometimes the bracha is just like a way of saying what you said already in another way um, to kind of create some kind of ending. If you you can just say like, okay, I'm done. And, like, people respect that. People like it, because, like, they hear what we have to say, and then it's finished. And also, like, just, like, on, on the note of, like, it's important to be sincere. If you find yourself saying, like, we should be Zohar, like, when Mashiach comes, like, for blah, blah, blah. Like, if you feel like you're saying it just because you feel like you have to say it, then, like, don't say it. Because everyone's going to be like, oh, everyone, because everyone knows that you're saying it because you have to say it. And it will cheapen everything else that you said beforehand. Like, if that's actually, like, part of what your Dvar is, then fine. But don't just say it because, like, you need an ending and, like, Mashiach is the ultimate ending. Uh, like, <laughs> <laughs> or is it the ultimate beginning? Yeah. yeah. I, used to, I used to practice the Rachel and Jenny sometimes, and that was the one thing. Like, this is where I would meander the most with the ending. And she would just nod at me. She'd be like, good chance. End it. You know what I mean? Like, you're done. You know, you're not saying anything new anymore. Finish. Like, that's it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I've never heard that done successfully. That and my blessing for us is uh, never. 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 (laughs) And I'm I'm thinking about like if if it was done, that'd be awesome. But it's never come up to me. Just like, it's just like, oh come on. Like, you're spinning everything you just said. And like, it suggests that like, I don't know. To me, it suggests like more of like a fairy tale to our Torah than like. Like, then, like, most people try to give, like, which is like maybe something complicated, something like you're struggling with, like something which maybe doesn't have like a neat conclusion. Um, and it's fine if it doesn't have a neat conclusion. Just say like, you know, and I don't really know what to do with this. Um, but like, this is this is something that like I struggle with. This is something that I've seen. Um, it's fine to just say that and kind of leave people with that thought. Um, it's also important because like the last thing you say is probably what people are going to remember most. Um, so have that be something that people can take home with them. Thank <laughs> 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 <laughs>